You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, it's just Aaron and yours truly today. Cooley was going to join us. Uh, I guess there's still a chance he could do it, but I think he got tied up with something uh, today. So uh, we may miss him today and catch up with him Wednesday maybe because Tommy will be on tomorrow. Um, You know, all hell's breaking loose around us. You know, the the Governor Hogan was just holding his press conference, now issuing essentially a mandatory stay-at-home order. Just so you guys know... Um, we are media and we are broadcasters, so we are actually deemed to be in, in this kind of a situation essential so we can get to and from our, our studio. And we are in a very, you know, isolated studio situation. And Aaron and I have kept uh, not only clean um, and uh, sanitized, but uh, with well within six to eight feet of each other as we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. So our plan is to continue to do the podcast. We may take a day off here and there. Um, you know, some of the advertising stuff is dried up, to be perfectly honest with you right now. Um, but uh, so we don't have uh, dedicated advertisers as we've had. Um, so... Um, you know, but they, they they'll come back, and and I'm not worried about that at all. Um, but we're going to continue to do the podcast as long as we can, and as long as there are things to talk about. Which I will start with what Aaron and Greg Huff, my radio producer, have been asking me to watch for over a week now. I finally got to this weekend, and that was Tiger King. Aaron, I am five episodes in. I've got two episodes left. It's exactly what you said, which is just trust me on this. Start watching, and you will you'll be glad you did. It is honestly, I've never seen a collection of more sort of WT wingnut wackos on one show in my entire life. It it is hysterical to watch. From you know Joe Exotic to Carol Baskin to Doc Antle to all of them. I mean, it is unbelievable. I don't want you to spoil it for me. No spoiling, um, because I haven't seen the final two. But it's 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 truly it's impossible. Like I, I was saying this morning on radio, you know, you and I are both in huge Game of Thrones fans, and I'm not a fantasy guy. But I got into Game of Thrones, and I and I swore to all of my friends that also were like, I'm not watching a show about White Walkers and dragons. I'm like, no, 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 no. Trust me on this. It's a character based show. You're going to love it. And every single friend of mine, with the exception of one, Scott. Scott Van Pelt still has never watched Game of Thrones. He did not trust me on this, um, even though I know he would love it. Um, and this is the same thing. People hear exotic animals and wingnut rednecks, gun-toting rednecks in the in the Midwest and in the South, involved in all sorts of you know tiger hoarding and tiger breeding, and and you're like, eh, I don't think that's for me. Oh yeah, it's for you, and it's become in this coronavirus, you know, hunker down era. The, I mean, on social media, there's not a bigger topic than corona, other than coronavirus itself. It's the number one streamed show on Netflix right now. Unbelievable how it's just taken off. So, um, there are a couple of things, and and I'll just I, I know the answers to these, but for those of you that didn't listen on radio, I'll ask them to Aaron anyway because I asked them of Greg this morning. 
But a couple of questions I have for you is, number one, do we ever get to find out what happened to Don, Carol's second husband? I mean, do we, who apparently she fed to, you know, the Tigers, um, but we don't know that for sure because it's been an unresolved disappearance of 20 years. It's still an unresolved disappearance. So it remains that way. Yes. Secondly, I know from, you know, the first five episodes, because every episode starts with Joe Exotic in prison, you know, talking via a phone interview, that he's been sentenced to 79 years. So I am assuming, and don't tell me the answer to this, but I am assuming that somehow he either killed Carol Baskin or it was some sort of murder, you know, for hire plot. Of some sort. Am I uh, am I in sort of the right direction there? You're in the ballpark. Okay. <laughs> um, but he is in jail for he is for, in jail. for good, right? Well, you'll see. Okay. So I asked Greg the following question this morning. We actually took calls on it. Who's your who's your top seated wacko on this show? Is it Joe? I don't think it's Joe. I really don't think it's Joe, as and, and part of it is because it's presented so much that you get to see. Like, he's definitely a wacko, but man, there are a lot of wackos on this, and he's somehow, and probably just because we've seen the most of him, he seems the most fleshed out of the wackos, so I almost think that Carol's a little more wacko. I think that, um, why am I blanking out? The, the guy who... Doc? Uh, Doc Antle? Actually... He's, he's. I mean, he's he's clearly created a mini cult. He's created a cult, but I don't know if that in, makes in him Myrtle a wacko. In Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, does that make him a wacko, or does that just? I make don't know. Him I mean, they, they they both have sort of created these cults, and yeah. she has too, for all intents and purposes. You know, she's got volunteers that are you know loyal to her. You know, the funny thing about Carol is you know. Um, you know, Big Cat Rescue, where she's, you know, creating this this impression that she's rescuing all these cats. She's doing the same thing that they're doing. Right. She's basically imprisoning all these big cats. Yes. And turning it into, you know, a a circus of sorts. I I think Jeff Lowe is up there on the... Oh, he's been introduced to me in the last two. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I, I, I love the fact that, you know, Jeff comes in and basically completely snows... Joe Exotic, because Joe clearly at that point is in big trouble, you know, financial trouble, etc. You know, so look, watch it, trust us, it's crazy. Couple of things. Number one, man, are those baby tigers cute. Oh, yeah. They are so adorable, and I can only imagine that in these, you know, these mini petting zoo environments they've created with the baby tigers... How cool that is to be able to, to to see that and be a part of that. They are just adorable animals. Um, but really, the scary part of all of this is that the um, that, that that these things exist. That people actually have these exotic zoos in their home. You know, I went back and read the crazy story of Terry Thompson, Zanesville, Ohio. Do you know the story or not? I don't know if I know this one. Oh, well, you have to read this story. First of all, by the way, Tiger King is nonfiction. It's a documentary. It's real. These are real people doing these real things. The story of Terry Thompson is 2011, Zanesville, Ohio, right outside of Columbus, Ohio. 
He was a very depressed guy with one of these exotic, you know, zoos. He had like 20 tigers, 20 lions, you know, grizzly bears, cougars, leopards, wolves, baboons, monkeys, the whole damn thing. And he cut him loose, Aaron, in 2011. And, and he shot himself after opening up all the cages and these animals were running loose. You know, this is the concern. They were all shot. All but one animal was apparently found. It was like a monkey. And they believe that probably one of the lions, bears, or tigers ate the monkey. But they had, you know, you had police coming in. They were familiar with what this guy was doing. And it's actually a fascinating story because one of his neighbors who had horses was seeing his horses get a little restless you know, as he looked out his window and he walked back there and they had um, sort of a, 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 a young horse who was really going wild and he went out there and he brought that, that horse in and then he saw the lions approaching, you know, the, his, his property free. Yeah, th- that, that's one of the craziest stories. It happened in, in 2011. All of those animals were killed very sadly, but this guy was depressed. He was crazy. He was like in his 70s, I think, you know, age-wise. He shot himself and, by the way, then allowed for his animals to eat him, um, but turned all, you know, cut, the, cut these cages open and turned these animals loose. You know, there were, the, the, it was a major story. Like if you lived in that Columbus area, you had, you know, you were driving around potentially going to come upon a lion. Like, and so I started to think about this. Think about like, you, you have no idea. Like I was like, I could be walking my dog one night and all of a sudden come across a grizzly bear. I mean, from some dude who, you know, they can't be sure of keeping these things caged. A no. mistake could happen. Like Joe Exotic has 230. 30 tigers on his property, full grown. Yes. And now uh, Doc Antle apparently is euthanizing all of his tigers after they run their, their course of usefulness in terms of revenue generation because it's the baby cub tigers that are really the, right. the, the draw for people to come in and be able to take pictures with them and hug them and play with them. And that's what people pay big money to do in these places. Yeah, I, I'm pulling up the prices now for Joe Exotics or formerly Joe Exotics Zoo. And it's, a, you know, general admission's $15, but then it's like, Private playtime, $50. Sloth encounter, $50. Exotic animal tour, $55. <laughs> I can see how they can rack up just on one visit. I mean, if you haven't seen it, this guy is a mullet-wearing gay guy with two husbands who's probably addicted to meth who has who had one of the private, big, largest private exotic zoos with, you know, 225 tigers, lots of lions, bears, wolves, the whole nine yards. Also Snakes. very charismatic. We have to point that out. And an incredibly charismatic dude who ran for president in 2016 and for governor of Oklahoma in 2018. You know, um, not the brightest bulb on the bush. None of them are. Um, actually, the only normal dude through five episodes is the campaign manager. And I think you got to... Normal is... is- Compared to the relatively others. speaking, yes, he was a, he was a Walmart employee selling ammunition to Joe. Joe has two husbands, one of whom is John, who may have three teeth in his entire mouth. Yes, and the other one was a poor Travis Maldonado, who in episode five shoots himself. Um, 
we're I'm laughing, but what's crazy about it is, is the camp. Well, the funeral was unbelievable. Um, but the uh, the the video of the campaign manager witnessing the shooting of himself. All you see is the reaction. You don't yeah. see Travis actually shooting himself. Anyway, we're talking about a lot of things that are film familiar to some of you, not familiar to others. Just trust us. Tiger King, which has become an internet and social media sensation. It's on Netflix. Just, I can't wait to get home today to watch the other two episodes. It will be, um, I'm sure, worth it. Like, um, one of my sons said, no, you don't understand, like, some of the best stuff and some of the craziest stuff is yet to come. Is that true? Yeah, there's some good stuff in the last two episodes. Yeah. There's some really good stuff. Here's, here's my question for you, just off that last part. Uh, would you pay Joe Exotic to speak at your funeral? No. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope we have no funerals in store. Um, no. Crazy time we are living through. I mean, I, we, Aaron and I actually started the podcast late because we were listening to the governor of Maryland um, address everybody in a press conference. And, you know, I think, and I, I really trust Hogan, actually. I think, and by the way, he's an excellent communicator and he's he's matter of fact and he's, you know, he's very direct. Um and at the same time tries to be reassuring, but you can sort of sense over the last couple of days that, um, that, you know, it's gotten more serious. Like if it weren't serious enough, it seems to be getting more serious. The expectation is that there are going to be a lot of New York cities. That's the, that's the problem. And that's the fear unless we continue to really, um, really hunker down. All right. Um, Several things Redskins related happened um, over the weekend. I, we'll get to the Ronald Darby, you know, uh, acquisition. I'm not overly impressed, just to be perfectly candid with you. But I, I did want to um, go back to Trent Williams for just a moment because I found something that maybe I missed during the show on Friday, or maybe it came out afterwards. I, I, I can't recall. But Les Carpenter and Sam Fortier wrote a story. Um, you know, off of the interview that Vincent uh, Taylor did on WJFK about Trent Williams, which we went through in great detail on Friday. But there was um, there was this paragraph that I found interesting. You know, we heard from Vincent Taylor about how bad, you know, and how off-put Trent Williams was after meeting with Ron Rivera for roughly 15 minutes. Taylor said, you know, there was no relationship. Ron wanted him to prove himself. Um, and he just realized that there was no relationship and it was time to part ways. Well, according to this story in the Post, the Redskins, Ron Rivera in particular, had a much different reaction to the 15-minute meeting with Trent Williams. Um, soon after the meeting, when Vincent Taylor told the Redskins that he was demanding that they trade him, Williams' demands surprised Rivera and the Redskins' front office, a person with knowledge of the situation said. Rivera, who was said to have made recruiting Williams back to the team one of his early priorities, came away from the meeting with Williams believing it was cordial and the start of a relationship that would build over the coming weeks, according to the person. Rivera has said publicly that because he doesn't know any of the players from last season's team, he wants them to come to off-season workouts to show they will buy into the culture he hopes to build before considering making a long-term commitment to them. The Redskins, according to this story, and according to Les Carpenter and Sam Fortier's sources, the Redskins were shocked 
when Taylor called a few days after the meeting and said, if you aren't going to extend Williams's contract, then trade him, the person uh, that apparently was in the no said, adding that Taylor told Washington officials that Williams will not play for them. Um, you know, it's hard to really uh, know for sure in this situation. I think the one thing that we can come to a pretty, I think, confident conclusion on is that Vincent Taylor's recent remarks are bullshit. You know, there's no chance that he you know, hasn't demanded a new contract or that Trent's never made demands on a contract. It's never been about the contract. The contract's never been the holdup. All of the things that he said via, you know, that first statement, um, the Diana Russini tweet thread and the interview that he did with 106.7, you know, I just don't believe any of that. I think that's all bullshit. I think it's always been at least partly about a new contract. Because if it's not about a new contract, what are we talking about? Because if he's not making demands on a contract, then it should be super easy to trade him. You know, if a team can just take this this $12.5 million contract and maybe, you know, offer him, you know, a, a mini extension of sorts, and it's not about the money, then it should be much easier to trade him. Or if it's not about the contract, the Redskins, as we talked about on Friday, have gotten rid of Bruce Allen. They've gotten rid of their entire training staff. They've hired a coach who is a player's coach. Then come on in and play. What are we talking about? I don't believe anything from Vincent Taylor. In fact, I really think <clears throat> that at this point, given that Trent Williams lost 10 to $15 million last year, and we're going through this this year, I think the agent really messed up big time for his client. I really do. And I don't know that Trent's ever going to get that money back. Um, I wish him the best because I've always liked Trent. Um, I've reached out to him. Somebody asked me if, if, if you know, you've tried to get Trent on. Of course I have, multiple times. Reached out to him, texted him, you know, at least a half dozen times over the last many months. Um, Trent, you know, is at this point not willing to do anything. And by the way, I did the same thing with the agent. Um, and I think the agent got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of heat for the interview that he did um, because I don't think anybody believes the agent at this point. And look, we may find out ultimately <clears throat> that we were wrong and the agent, you know, handled this correctly or was, you know, forthright throughout. Um, but as of now, the agent and Trent Williams look worse than the team. And that's saying a lot, you know, when it comes to this particular team. There was also something else on the Trent Williams situation. This was from Josina Anderson, who's done a really good job reporting Redskins-related stuff, and she tweeted this out on Friday night, I think. There are people in the organization who still love Trent and would appreciate him being back on the team, helping to block for a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. Those are just some sentiments, though, and he'd still need a pay raise. Up through now, all sides, including the market, have not capitulated yet. So she says, of course, it's about the pay raise, too, even though the agent um, has said that it is not about uh, a pay raise. Um, I have a pretty good um, contact that has shared with me that, yes, there are people in the organization who still love Trent, and there are a few people in management that can't stand him now, that really, really... 
you know, I, I, I used the word betrayed in a conversation and they said that may be a bit harsh, but extremely disappointed in the way it's been handled um, would be certainly more descriptive of the way several people in the organization feel, not just Bruce Allen. And I've suggested that one of those people that may feel this way about Trent now is the owner. You know, Trent says he loves the owner because I think he wants the owner to to do him what he believes, do him the right way and move on. Um, but I think that there's a lot of stuff that came, has come out over the last year that really, really hurt <clears throat> the Redskins. You know, I think they felt like they were loyal to him and maybe now they feel like they were loyal to him to a fault. Bottom line, my position hasn't changed, um, and it's not going to change. At minimum, they should wait through the draft. I'm not giving Trent away for anything but a second round pick. And if the, you know, my my response to the agent, if he told me this has never been about money, then I would say, well, why don't you play for the Redskins then? What's the problem? Um, and if if it's not about a, a new contract, how is it that somebody hasn't offered the Redskins enough? Interestingly enough, just as uh, as uh, a side note to all of this. Um, when he was interviewed on local radio and asked about the trade offers and asked specifically whether or not the Redskins had been offered at least a second-round pick, he um, really skirted that question and didn't answer it, which would lead you to believe that the Redskins haven't been offered a second. So when he says they've been offered things and they don't know what they're doing or they're changing their demands, you know, tell me, Vincent Taylor, that the Redskins turned down a second rounder or better. And then I'll tell you that they are, you know, intentionally trying to hurt your client, especially if it's a top half of the second round pick. Um, But I don't believe they've been offered that. I think they could have gotten that certainly a year ago, um, maybe even six, you know, seven months ago. Uh, and I, I mentioned to all of you maybe three weeks ago, the Redskins, I believe, could have gotten Jadavian Clowney straight up for Trent if they had wanted that from Houston uh, last year. Now, they would have been in a position of having to pay Clowney, um, but they didn't uh, want that. And bottom line is the Redskins didn't make him available until recently, and now we're finding out what his current market value is, um, which is not what he thinks it is, um, from a contract standpoint or a compensation standpoint, neither one. All right, um, so that was the uh, Trent stuff uh, that I wanted to get to. Um, Jason Lockenfora, uh very early this morning, I guess, on CBS Sports dot com hq uh that's their streaming service they're like sports oh, streaming service yeah i wouldn't even know what that is um but he's it's cbs's yes yeah, cbs yeah. Sports so, hq so jason lock and fora um was asked about the redskins and and the number two pick overall and whether or not there was any interest or any possibility that they would trade back here's what he said that's what it comes down to if they stay at two i think they take the player but i continue to hear that they are increasingly open to trading out whether that means somebody trading up for Tua, in all likelihood it would. Um, and how far back would they go? If they do drop back a few spots, I believe strongly they would target Isaiah Simmons. And that's another player who I'm told is super high on their board. And they feel like he's such a, a rotational chess piece you could put all over the place. They're very intrigued by that possibility if they were to move down. That's interesting to me. Um you know, when he says, you know, I continue to hear that the Redskins are increasingly open to trading out. 
Um, first of all, Isaiah Simmons, you know, we know what um, Clinton Portis told us about Isaiah Simmons, right? He thinks Isaiah Simmons is the, is the next Lawrence Taylor. Here's the issue that I think the Redskins are going to have. First of all, I wouldn't do it, and, but but I'd be open to listening to any offer. Um, but I just think Chase Young is going to be a star, um, and you better be sure that it's it's a lot that you're getting back. But here here's the um, here's the thing that I think we have to consider about the trade back opportunity. If they're not a serious threat to draft Tua or a running back, then they're not going to get the best offer. Detroit is. Detroit will get the best offer because nobody's going to go up to two if they don't think the Redskins are going to take the quarterback. Now, if you get multiple bidders for three, now you get somebody to jump Detroit at two. But if there's, let's just say Miami is the team that really wants to get Tua, and by the way, they have the most to offer. And the Reds, Miami knows now, Tua more likely than not is not going to be the choice at number two. So, the you know part of this offseason of not being able to go through the process of you know interviewing these quarterbacks and bringing them in and working them out and pro days and having lots of stories and rumors fly, you know, oh my God, the Redskins love Tua. You know, to give Miami at least a serious impression that there's the possibility they could they could draft Tua. You know, now that they've traded for Kyle Allen, I, I don't see it. You know, I don't really see the Redskins being in the best potential situation to reap the biggest reward um, for trading back. Again, if you've got multiple teams willing to get up, the problem with that is Miami's got the most to offer. So what would the Chargers, you know, have that Miami doesn't have to get up to two? You may not be worth – they may not be willing to give you enough unless, at two. Unless they do, unless they make the RG3 offer. Unless yeah. they say, all right, take our first for the next two years after this Yeah, one. it might take more than that. I mean, it probably would, yeah. but I'm saying that they just have to outbid Miami. Miami has more, but there might be a point, and it might be a situation where – because they're moving into a new stadium, because of everything around it, that the Chargers are just more desperate. Obviously, it would work in the Redskins' benefit if people legitimately thought that Tua was a possibility at number two, more than it not be, uh, not being a possibility, which I don't think it really is a possibility. Um, but anyway, that was Jason Lockenfora uh, earlier uh, this morning. Um, then there was... Um, then there was this about um, about Kyle Allen. Uh, I'm going to read to you what Bucky Brooks, who I actually really like Bucky Brooks um, on uh, NFL Network. Brooks writes a column. He's an analyst for NFL um, Network and NFL.com. And on Friday or over the weekend, um, he wrote this about Kyle Allen. He wrote, Do not be surprised if Kyle Allen runs out of the tunnel as the Washington Redskins QB1 when the team takes the field this fall. QB1 meaning starting quarterback. That's been sort of a recent thing in the last couple of years, referring to the starting quarterback as QB1, the backup quarterback as QB2. I don't think we did that five years ago. I think we said starter, backup, third stringer. Friday Night Lights, I think. Okay. There are several movies document, you know, like high school sports stuff that that's where I think it okay. really well, started. He's saying 
starting quarterback, QB1. He then writes, I know Ron Rivera said this week that the 2019 first-round pick Dwayne Haskins is the starter even after acquiring Allen for a fifth-round pick, but he also made it clear that there would be competition for the top job. And don't underestimate the significance of Rivera reuniting with the young quarterback who made 11 starts under his direction the past two seasons. The Allen deal also matches offensive coordinator Scott Turner with a quarterback he developed from undrafted free agent to starter from 2018 to 2019. Think about that. A former quarterback coach is promoted to offensive coordinator in his new job and is reunited with one of his protégés as he begins the process of trying to turn around an offense. Given the importance placed on trust and communication between quarterback and play caller, the connection between Turner and Allen is important, particularly in the midst of a chaotic period in which teams' off-season programs have been delayed indefinitely due to the coronavirus pandemic. That's why I wouldn't dismiss Allen's chances of emerging as the Redskins QB1 at the end of training camp. Allen's knowledge of the offense should help him play faster than the incumbent at the position out of the gate. Um, He then goes on to talk about Kyle Allen and the kind of player he is and yada, yada, yada. So this is sort of what we've, you know, alluded to in conversations that if we end up having an offseason that's so condensed and so short, and even a training camp that let's say lasts a week to two, you know, to ten days, and then there's one preseason game, and then it's time to start the season. You know, if we get into that 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 situation, well, yeah, I could see Kyle Allen in that spot, but I'm telling you right now, from my standpoint, I just don't see barring that. You know, Dwayne Haskins being a guy that doesn't do enough to learn the new offense, to get acclimated to the new offense, to be the starter. This has been the plan. This is one of the reasons Snyder offered the job to Rivera, because in many ways Rivera said, I'm going to challenge him, um, but we're going to give him a legitimate chance in 2020. You know, Dwayne Haskins, remember, was told by Bill Callahan, um, we, or we heard, we learned from Bill Callahan about Dwayne Haskins that he was coachable and that he was a fast learner. Uh, one of my favorite sound bites from Bill Callahan was late in the season, and this is you know following early in the season when Callahan sort of referred to Haskins as a project, as a guy that wouldn't be ready until next year, and then late in the season after he played a few games, he said he's not a mistake repeater. He doesn't repeat the same mistake twice. That, when you hear from a coach, tells you the coach finds this guy to be smart and coachable. And that's the thing we heard about Dwayne. Commitment was more the issue early in the year when he wasn't a starter. You know, preparation. Never anything other than intelligent, good guy, and obviously the physical ability is there. I think unless we have a super condensed training camp, and it's very possible we'll get nothing until training camp. Um... In the absence of a major short ramp-up period to the first real game, Dwayne Haskins is going to be the starter. And I think, barring injury, he'll start all 16 games. And I like Kyle Allen. If you know, if you listen to last week's podcasts, I think he can play. I think he definitely can play. And I like him a, a, a lot. I just like Dwayne better, and I, I want to see um, the rest of this with Dwayne. So there was also um, the news that the Redskins had signed Ronald Darby uh, over the weekend to a one-year deal worth up to $4 million. And um, 
And and this, so there are a couple of things here. Number one, I I, I think Darby's just okay. I, I don't know if he's the starter or not. He gets a one year deal worth up to four million dollars. He played the last three years in Philly, the first two in Buffalo. He's actually missed twenty out of their last forty eight games. Twenty out of their last forty eight games that, that, that he's missed. So I um. I started thinking about him in terms of the other options. Bashad Breland. I like Breland more. Uh, Quentin Dunbar, who really perhaps wasn't an option because of the way he handled things. Dunbar, to me, is just a better player. He's just a better player. Dunbar, by the way, and I, and I saw this over the weekend, and this was before the um, uh, the Darby uh, signing. Ray Horton, who coached the Redskins uh you know, defensively last year, their DBs was on some sort of blog or radio interview and talking about Quentin Dunbar. Um, and he said about Dunbar, he said, I-, I compare him to Richard Sherman. He said to me, you know, because of the style of play, the hands, the anticipation, him being a former wide receiver, the competitiveness, really, you know, what you're getting is a young Richard Sherman. And, the, and this kid is hungry. He wants to be good, close quote. That's Ray Horton uh, talking about uh, Dunbar. He also said he gives you a lot of position flexibility. Look, Dunbar's gone. He's in Seattle, okay? He mouthed off too much. Um I personally liked him enough where I would have thought about extending him, um, but you know they didn't get to that point, and I think he's going to work out really well in Seattle. I don't think Darby is as good as Quentin Dunbar. I don't think Sean Davis is as talented as Monte Nicholson either. I think the bigger issue here for the Redskins is as it relates to um, their DBs, okay, their their defensive backs. Um, I don't think we know anything. Like Kendall Fuller's a talent. Everybody else is basically, at this point, you're not really sure. I'm talking about the corners in particular. Fabian Moreau, we don't know what they think of him. We don't know what they think of Jimmy Moreland. We don't think uh, we, we don't really have an idea of what they think completely of Ronald Darby at this point. And I think the, the important thing is corners are interesting because scheme is everything. And it's the way these coaches sort of envision how they're going to fit into their scheme. You know, Jack Del Rio's played defenses where he's played a lot of man and he's played some where he's played zone. We know that Ron Rivera has, you know, in the past, love to really get after the quarterback and have his you know DBs facing the action not back turned more zone than man you know Darby you know can probably play both I think um but we don't know what how they're projecting these guys you know into I think you know Darby can run Darby is also injured too much Fuller can run Fuller can cover I think in the slot I think Fuller can cover on the outside too I think Moreau can do both you know Moreland we thought was more of a slot guy I wouldn't be surprised if they might see him as an outside guy we're just not going to know until they you know until we see this team in action we're just not going to know so um, I think that's the big takeaway they're signing a bunch of guys for not a lot of money except for Kendall Fuller and They've got a vision as to how this will work out. This probably means no Bashan Breeland, more likely than not. You know, uh, probably means no Demarius Randall, but I don't know that it definitely means it. The Redskins still have plenty of cap space, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 27 to 30 million bucks, somewhere in that range, probably top six to top eight in terms of available cap space. Um, I'm not a big fan of Darby. He, he hasn't been available enough. Hasn't been available enough. Um, 
So what else do I have on today's rundown? Uh, Then there was Austin Hooper from over the weekend. So we know, right, that Austin Hooper signed with Cleveland, four-year, $44 million deal, $11 million bucks a year. And I was under the impression, and I mentioned this about two months ago, that the Redskins were going to be aggressive in free agency. And a lot of you sort of snap back at me like, oh, they were really aggressive, Sheehan. This is like a Bruce Allen class. And it is. It's turning out to be one. I understand that. Um, but they tried to be aggressive. They went after Amari, Co- Amari Cooper. We know multiple reports that the Redskins offered Cooper um, a contract that would have made him the highest paid wide receiver in the history of the game. Uh, And he decided to stay in Dallas. And then there was Austin Hooper, who I mentioned, and I mentioned Kenyon Drake as well. Kenyon Drake ultimately was not available um, because he got transition tagged after Arizona made the trade with Houston, David Johnson, uh, to the Texans um, for for DeAndre Hopkins as part of of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So anyway, um, so we know that... uh, we know that the um, that uh, the Redskins, you know, had this mindset of being aggressive to add offensive weapons for Dwayne. I do believe that that was, you know, part of the plan. Austin Hooper, we sort of learned after the fact the Redskins just weren't willing to come up to a dollar amount that you know was close to what Austin Hooper, you know, wanted and needed. Um, and he signed the you know the eleven million dollar deal uh, with the Browns. Um, but Austin Hooper did have some comments from over the weekend um, about um, the teams that were interested. You signed a nice contract in Cleveland, and I know your name was kind of circling the free agent market for a while. Were there any other teams that you knew had a strong interest in you? Uh, Redskins were definitely a, uh, a team that has had shown interest, I would say. Um, definitely a uh, you know solid organization with a, mm-hmm. another talented young quarterback, so that was that was probably going to be my uh, next landing spot. Uh, I mean, it really came down to, you know, Cleveland and Washington. Yeah, at the end, I chose chose Bia Brown. So that was Austin Hooper um, telling you that the Redskins were, you know, essentially plan B. I don't know what they offered him um, at this point, uh, but it probably was more than what we thought, and they were closer to landing Austin Hooper than we thought right after the fact. Remember, right after the fact, the conversation really was more about, you know, that the Redskins weren't close and didn't have any real intention of going to the level that Cleveland went to. But it sounds like the Redskins were right there or certainly had a chance uh, for Austin Hooper. You know, in thinking about Austin Hooper, two things come to mind. One, you know, Ron Rivera coached against him, schemed against him. He knows the player. And two, you know, what Cooley said to us and has said to us, bottom line when it came to Cooley, um, and when, when it came to uh, uh, Austin Hooper, he's like, Hunter Henry's much better. Like if Hunter Henry makes it to free agency, that's the guy. You know, that's the guy we got to go get um, because Hooper is, is, is good, but, you know, it, it, as a blocker, you know, he was, you know, he said essentially just a guy and there were some other things. So anyway, I, want, I wanted you, you to hear that about Austin Hooper. Um, lastly, before we run for the day, two things. Number one, 
Uh, ESPN put out their updated NFL power rankings. The Redskins are 31st out of 32 teams. And I went, Aaron, and looked at the odds on sportsbook.com about uh, where the Redskins are right now. Dead last NFC championship at uh, 100 to 1. All right, by the way, not even close to the second longest odds, which are, by the way, the Panthers at 75 to 1. Um, and in the in the division, you know, they're a long shot. They're twenty to one. The Giants are eight to one, and then the Cowboys and Eagles essentially essentially are close to even money, you know, to win uh, their respective um, divisions. So the Redskins, you know, with this two weeks into free agency, are sort of being viewed even you know no greater than where they were, and maybe even a little bit less. Um, where they are. But again, you know, whatever. What does that mean? Um, lastly, I wanted to just mention um, this story that broke this morning about Tom Brady and going to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's general manager, Jason Licht, and Bruce Arians basically said that when they had a conversation with Brady, they didn't pitch Brady. Brady pitched them. Uh, This was from Licht, the general manager, Jason Licht in Tampa. He said, quote, we had a great conversation, Bruce and I. We talked to him for over an hour and a half. All right, Bruce Arians and Jason Licht had a conversation with Brady for over an hour and a half. And he made it clear in the conversation that he was very, very interested. It It was almost like a recruitment on his part telling us why it would make sense for him to come to Tampa Bay. The next call we made, we signed him. him. But it was that phone call that we realized that we felt like we had him. Um, I think this is so interesting because it speaks to Brady's, you know, feeling probably throughout his career that he hasn't arrived It's one of the reasons that he's probably been so successful in everything that he does. He doesn't come in with a chip on his – he doesn't come in feeling like he's got it and that you've got to impress him. He comes in and he's telling you what he has to do um, to, to impress you. You know, it's like, I think I said this last week, if you ever go on a job interview, don't talk about what you've done. Talk about what you're going to do. No one cares about what you've done. They're about to decide whether or not to hire you or to give you a raise based on what you're going to do. You know, um, most companies, you know, they, they can be loyal, but they're going to, only going to be loyal to a certain point. They, they need to know that you're going to produce even more. You know, and Brady understands that. You know, he understood that he came in, you know, I hope you're interested in me. You know, let me tell you why you should be interested in me. I just find that so interesting and so probably reflective of why he's been so successful um, throughout his playing career is that, and probably why he's been so respected too, is there's never been a sense of entitlement. There's always been a sense of him that he has to continue to achieve and earn people's respect. Um, that's interesting to me. Speaking of Brady and the Patriots, I just saw this uh, gambling-related tweet I found fascinating. So uh, this is John Ewing from the Action Network said, 
according to Points Bet USA, which is one of the bigger books, it, they've really started to come on in the past year. Right. Uh, Patriots are minus two eighteen to make the playoffs in twenty twenty. So the and then he goes on to say the New England odds to make playoffs in the past ten years. Last year, 2019, minus 1,100. Right. 2018, minus 1,400. 2017, minus 6,000. 2016, minus 325. 2015, minus 400. 2014, minus 550. 2013, minus 833. 2012, minus 900. 2011, minus 350. And 2010, minus 150. That's really, really interesting. Really interesting um, to me because, you know, when I went through the power poll, the ESPN power poll, where the Redskins are 31st among 32 teams, you know what the most surprising part of it is? You know where the Patriots are? 13th. Sounds when have they about, exactly. when have they ever been outside of the top 10? Oh, yeah. It doesn't happen. By the way, 20, Tampa, Tampa Bay in the power poll is 10th. There we go. And the and, and the and the Patriots I know a are lot, 13. A lot of books right now have uh, win total just matchups: Bucks versus Patriots. And I think the Bucks are the slight favorite there. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, all right, that's it for today. Um, no coolie today. Hopefully, we'll get them on Wednesday. Tommy uh, in tomorrow. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Back tomorrow.